Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with co-host Eric Trexler. Eric, good morning. Would you like a little more than I gave you on the Shira Frankel interview? Fine. <laughs> you told me to be quick, remember? I was listening That's to right. it this weekend. Uh, that was a great conversation. Um, our our first uh, explicit rating, I think, because of the title. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Oh well. Yes, but no. Anyway, I'm really oh, excited well. for What's today's guest. Today? Yes, we have Danny Jenkins. He's the CEO and co-founder of ThreatLocker. It's a company that provides zero trust endpoint security. Um, really, really excited. They've got a lot going on, and and uh, you know he's got a lot of the same interests I do, like ransomware. So I think we're going to have a really great conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Thank you for having me today, Rachel. Awesome. So, I mean, where to start? I mean, I, I I'm where really where do fast- we start? I, I'm going to start with this. Um, you did a report on protecting water infrastructure against cyber attacks. And I know you guys are Orlando based in Florida. So you kind of had a front row seat to what was going on with the water treatment facility. And, and your report brought out so many really interesting facts. I would, I'd love to kind of touch on that and, and kind of how that came about and, and why the focus uh, that your company put on that. Well, so I think you know, we're seeing so many cyber attacks and it's not just water, but local government, uh, police, um, various different infrastructure. We're seeing so many cyber attacks happen and attempted cyber attacks on this infrastructure. And I think being in Florida and being in water, it, it kind of made me think, am I going to stop drinking out the faucet soon? Because, I mean, this attack in Florida essentially potentially poisoned the water not too far from where I live. I mean, thankfully, I'm in a different city, a different municipality, but I have no confidence that the municipality that I'm in has any better security than this company. And, I, and it really raised basic security concerns. I mean, th this wasn't some genius hacker. I mean, we're not talking about the level of sophistication that was used in the SolarWinds Orion attack, but we're talking about someone got into a computer that had TeamViewer installed on it, and they essentially turned a dial that potentially would have poisoned the water if it hadn't been spotted pretty much immediately. And we got lucky that it was spotted by somebody right. who worked there immediately. Yes. Well, well, that's it. And there's two parts that scare me about this, this attack. One is... TeamViewer was running on a computer that can essentially poison the water, but also that someone who's sitting at that desk who is a $45,000 a year paid civil servant can turn that dial himself <laughs> and uh, poison the water. And, and, I, and I just I looked at this and thought there's so, many, so much lack of control, so much lack of um, oversight as to what can happen here. There's so many areas that things can go horribly wrong from the water systems being shut down to um, to water being poisoned to uh, various things that can happen. And it, it seems like there's not enough controls in place to stop them from happening. And, th and that is a, a common theme we see across, well, not just government mm -hmm. agencies or businesses, but government agencies and infrastructure companies are businesses that affect us all, whether we, we don't get a choice of where mm -hmm. we get our water from. It, it's coming from where we did you come in, from. in your investigation. Did you ever, and, and I'm assuming you did some investigative work. Did you ever determine what level of cybersecurity capability that water processing plant had? Like, did they even have a someone in charge of cybersecurity? We didn't work on that particular plant, but we we, we did a lot of investigation. Obviously, we right. read what was publicly available. But if we look at lots of similar companies, and we've worked with lots of similar companies, typically municipalities um, outside of the big New York City ones and you know San Francisco ones tend to have very little cybersecurity full stop. They, they run a local IT guy that just has always fixed things. And it's the same guy who's been there for 20 years. He's, he's Bob in the basement and he's, he's a great job at doing what he's doing, but he's never, he's got no cybersecurity experience. There is no CISO or even virtual CISO managing and giving them advice and putting any suggestions in place for them. And we've seen that from municipality to municipality to municipality. I saw one company that they got breached, they got ransomware. Uh, it was a it was a police department, uh, or it was a city, but the police department, it was the head of cybercrime was responsible for the ransomware ha happening. I and mean, this is essentially a cop who comes in, 
plugs in a USB device that you found in the parking lot. Stop, 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 and stop. Rachel, Rachel, it's not uh, funny. Like, you, you, you got to wonder why. I come- <laughs> yeah, this is the world we live in. It's we may like have to edit to Rachel's hat. laughing out, Danny. But, well, yeah. I'm just saying this, you know, like when you go to Black Hat, right? And, you know, they, so, they, so you find a USB key on the on the ground. You're like, oh, what is this? I'm just, you Look know. Look at that free USB in. drive. I yeah. wonder how big it is. Let me plug it in and find out. <laughs> well, it, they dropped them in the hotel room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they come yeah. with your room rental, right? You got upgraded. You get a, you want 3,000 points yeah. or a Russian USB drive? It's your choice. So, so Danny, wow. I was, you know, in preparation for the podcast, I was reaching, reading your blog and on August 3rd, your organization put out a blog posting called protecting water, water infrastructure against yes. cyber attacks. And you cited some data from the water sector coordinating, coordinating yeah. council, cybersecurity 2021 state of the industry report that blew me away. And, and I kind of, I, I, I never saw the data, but 51.4%, let's just call it 51% of survey respondents from water, the water sector are with a department of a municipality or a county. I mean, we're talking really local government there. 33% are a special district or independent yes. government entity. And then nine and a half percent basically are private nonprofit cooperatives. And 6.4% are privately owned or investor owned. So we're really talking about local state and local government in the United States who typically don't have cybersecurity budgets right. and it typically isn't a major priority for them. That the seeing the data blew me away. Yeah. Well, and we see this all the time and I remember the year before 2020 2019 in 2019 there was three Florida cities hit by ransomware in the same month and collectively they paid right. over 2 million dollars to get their data back. And I I sat there at this point and I thought, wait there, we're letting people chop heads off without paying ransoms. But we're suddenly paying $2 million to essentially terrorist groups overseas to turn on local municipalities. If if someone had said to me on September 12th, 2001, 20 years ago today, uh, or 20 years ago this week, um, uh, that in 20 years time, we're going to pay people $2 million so we can get our computer And maybe you don't even back. get them back. I would have laughed at them. I said, that's net. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you don't even get them back. And that's the point. But they, they paid that. And the reality is we, we work with cities all the time. We do everything we can. But trying to get $3,000 a budget from a city is unbelievable. But the, they unanimously voted yes to pay $2 million to a cyber criminal somewhere in Ukraine or somewhere randomly in the world to get their data turned back on. So it's funny, they don't have the budgets, but in fairness, they choose not to have the budgets in many cases. A lot of these these uh, these budgets are set by mm-hmm. committee and the committee say, oh, we've been okay for 20 years, we'll be fine. And th- suddenly it becomes a reality when something serious happens and they say, okay, we're going to spend some money on this now. But unless they've been hacked right. or unless at least their neighbor's been hacked, they're very much like, well, we've been okay for the last 20 years. Right, it never happened to me. Who cares about me? I'm in the middle of Idaho or, or exactly. pick your location, your locality. Yeah. I agree. It's exactly. a real problem. So but what do we do about it? Well, exactly. I mean, well, what there, I think there's two pieces here though, right? I mean, Eric, it's, it's, you know, the, the security of municipalities, right. And prioritizing that, but then there's also the ransomware challenge. I mean, which pot do you want to dig in first? Cause these are pretty meaty topics right here. I don't know, but whether you're talking water or power School systems, city, state, local governments—you name it—we're we're really not talking about a lot of privately owned, investor-owned utilities. I mean, we went after Colonial Pipeline, which was publicly owned, at least, right? But but how do you how do you go after a municipality? The state can go after the municipality, but they have no money, no capability. Right. Well, the, the point is, they do have money. I, I, I mean, and we saw that because they paid the money. And the, 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 these attackers, and bear in mind, most of the attacks we're seeing on the news today are right. business-driven attacks. These guys are trying to make money. They're encrypting your files. You saw it with Colonial. They, they paid $4.5 million. They're there to make money. But there are still attackers out there who have ideological reasons right. to attack the United States, to attack our water, to attack our oil supplies. And you got to ask the question, what happens if Colonial paid the $4.5 million, which is a rounding error for them, um, and they didn't get their data back? They didn't turn on the oil pipeline. And what happens if someone takes down the water systems? I mean, these cities in Florida that were taken down, 
um, in 2019, they couldn't bill the water. They lost all their water billing data. And they weren't able to send out water bills. So they had to pay those $2 million combined. But what happens if they paid the $2 million? And then the guy says, hey, now we've managed to take down the United States and get paid for it. it it's it, it's a real threat. And the problem is, is everyone's thinking about this. Too many people are thinking about this from an insurance point of view. What if I get ransomware, I'll right. put a claim into my insurance right. and it will pay at least a portion of it. But the, there's so many ransomware attacks I see where you don't get the data back, either because... Guess what? These guys aren't very good at keeping their word. Their support's not very good. The key's wrong. They messed up on saving it. Or yeah, they, didn't care. They, they just didn't want to give you the data because, look, they want to hurt the United States. They want, right. they want to hurt our, our government agencies. They want to hurt our infrastructure. Well, and I think as we saw with Colonial Pipeline and, and yeah, like billing, that's one thing. But in this case, weren't they going to put a, an excessive amount of lie into the water to yeah. poison it? Yeah, um, a sodium hydroxide, okay. I think, or something. There was a, a basically, yeah, they were, they were increasing the chemical. And I'm not, no one even knows in this case, did someone do this because they just happened to connect to a team viewer session mm -hmm. by typing in a random code? I mean, or did someone actually hack right, into right. the water supply intentionally? But uh, And it, it's really hard to see. So, I mean, this wasn't a ransomware attack. It wasn't a business attack. It wasn't, I'm trying to get money. But equally, it could have been someone who just went on a machine and said, hey, I can just mess around with this computer that mm -hmm. I've randomly connected to, not even knowing what they were playing with and what buttons they were pressing. Same result. And if that had happened, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that somewhere down the line, some systems would have been shut down, but I don't know. Uh, I'm not confident of that. I've been drinking out bottles for a while. Well, I mean, um, we're, we definitely see that with ransomware where, where there are massive impacts, but... I mean, we, I, I'm less worried about the water not being, them not being able to bill for water, the municipality not being able to bill for water. The, to me, that's like paying the ransomware fee. Um, the bigger issue is when the water gets polluted. I mean, imagine if someone had the ability to take the septic waste treatment and, and merge it in with the water or something like that. That would be a massive well, or, thing. Or shut off the pumps. I mean, I live in Florida. We'd have hurricanes. Sometimes the water yeah. goes out. We're prepared. Yeah. We've we've created you know backup water. We've got gallons and gallons of water. If you lose water in Florida unexpectedly, if the pumps get shut down, right. just like they did. I mean, I know it was oil, but it's the same principle. They're pumping something through a pipe. If they shut off the pumps, I mean, poisoning the water is 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 I would hope is less likely to succeed. But suddenly shutting off water to a a county that has temperatures upwards of 95 degrees. Right. That's not a situation you want to be in. And it's a very, very real situation right now. I mean, I've reviewed so many local government networks and I, there isn't a single one that I wouldn't have been able to break into yeah. in 30 to 40 minutes. Like uh, they are that poorly prepared. Uh, yeah. We've talked about that a bunch on the show. It's, uh, you know, what do you do though? Right? How do you get these municipalities to understand the risk, understand the cost, and serve their populations when they're in the middle of the country and don't feel that they can, you know, be attacked? Well, so I, I, th I hope legislation is going to help force it because we either wear a seatbelt when we get in the car because we want to wear a seatbelt and we want to be safe, or because if we don't, we're going to get a ticket. But either way, most people wear a seatbelt when they get in the car and. Re regulation is not always going to solve every problem, but if, if we have some regulation that forces them to follow a standard, whether it be CIS or whether it be um, NIST 800 if you if you have regulation that forces the following of standards, it's going to force people to do things regardless to whether they think they're a target or not. Then Correct. you take away the opinion out of it. Um, of course, someone who really wants to do it is always going to do a better job. But we need to be a lot more secure than where we are now. Um, obviously, the new infrastructure executive order goes towards that. It makes it, uh, it, it goes towards making sure critical infrastructure is protected. The problem is with the uh, regulation legislation is it, it's going to, it takes too long. Right. It takes too long. They don't necessarily have the auditors in place. But the first thing is, let's send a list out there to every municipality and saying, hey, you've got to implement um EDI, you've got to implement a zero trust framework. You've got to implement um, uh, permissions, least privilege, uh, uh, all of these things. Um, dual factor authentication, you must turn off remote access tools. You have to have uh, regular scans on your firewall. Give them those lists of tangible items that need to be done and say, you've got to do this. If you're not doing this, then you're not doing your job. Um, 
we're going to come in, we're going to audit you. And maybe the federal government helps pay towards that because it's it's a federal problem. I mean, cybercrime, I mean, their job is to protect us from foreign threats. And in many cases... So I, I sat down, I'm trying to think when it was, a couple of years ago at RSA, I sat down with the uh, a relatively senior person, I won't tell you the state, on the, on the Department of Homeland Security at the state level, though. And and we were talking about, it, it was a... Um, a panel discussion, we were prepping beforehand and we were talking about her challenges. The problem is that the people who are representing these organizations, you know, at at a school, the head of cybersecurity for for a countywide school district might be the cybersecurity teacher who five years ago was teaching math at the middle school level. So when you talk XDR, when you talk zero trust, her her concern was th- there's no th- there's no ca- capacity really to receive that and do anything with it because they just moved into this role and they're not they don't have a twenty year history. I mean, Rachel, does that sound crazy? Or and think about where where you and I went to school. I mean, we didn't go to school together, but think about school back in the day. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they didn't even have an IT department. It was an audiovisual department. Now they have right. IT, but who's running it and how much experience do they have in cybersecurity against potentially nation state or nation state supported or right. allowed attackers? Yeah. I think to that point, right? I mean, it's the, the, the business calculus, right? They roll the dice and say, well, we're probably not going to happen to us. And if it does, well, we've got this little pocket to Danny's point. There's the, the money's somewhere, right? If you can pay ransomware, why couldn't you have funded a security expert? Um, you know, and I, I think a lot of people, it's, you know, like, well, let's just see what happens. And, and then unfortunately, as we know, right, everything's driven by these extreme events. And, and then it does happen. You're like, oh, oops, <laughs> like we better, oh, maybe let's put some more money to it now in an official capacity. And, and I, how do you change that mindset, I, I guess, is the big question, right? I mean, I know the administration's trying to, to get there, right, with public uh, disclosure uh, policies and, you know, and the Treasury Department saying, look, if you pay ransomware uh, to a nation state attacker, we're going to fine you. I mean, they're, they're trying to get it together, but it's, it's very disparate. I mean, I mean Danny, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, it, it comes back down to, well, there's two areas. One is having some kind of tangible task force, because you're right, the people in these roles, and this is a government problem across the board. In the private industry, cybersecurity pays a lot of money, and they pay money based on someone's ability to do the job, right, someone's right. experience, someone's understanding, so, someone's smartness, not based on what level of qualification in college they got. Correct. They're looking for the and best And we still people. fail and have problems. Um, when, when you leave... Yeah, well, yeah, and they still fail, and they still. And the 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 interesting thing is, when you look, start looking at the bigger banks and things like that, they they tend to have more success rates because they have better people. The smaller organizations still have the same problem, but governments tied against the wall in that they they pay very much on college qualification. So, and frankly, you, they say if you've got a bachelor's, if you've got a master's, if you've got a PhD, this is going to determine your paycheck. When people leave college with no experience, they actually do well by going in the government industry, but they have no experience. They come out, they know nothing. We hire a lot of people from college too, basically taking on juniors. Um, the challenge is, is if they're good, they very quickly move to high-end private industry because the government's never going to pay them. No, no cybersecurity professional is going to get paid 65000 to $75,000 a year who knows what he's doing. So you have these local guys that isn't doing can't do the job. So that really leads to either a federal or a state level government that comes in and says, we're going to hire a team at least to audit and suggest. And then it becomes a case of, can you in, can you implement this to a state where we can audit it and we can say, hey, I've checked this box. You've implemented application whitelisting. You've implemented uh, file-based permissions. You've done firewall scans. You've done penetration testing. You've got patch management in place. Can, you, can we give you this checkbox of, of tools? Can we monitor that? And if you ha- if you can't, then we start saying we're either going to pull state or federal funding from you because all of these guys are getting some kind of funding, or we're going to pay for it for you to get somebody in to come and do your job properly. But, but then we get back to compliance, which in this case I might agree with you is is a necessary first step. But we talk a lot on the show about compliance versus actually doing proper security, right? Checking the box. Okay, we we made sure that, uh, you know, we're patching and we're doing it. But the compliance piece, it's a good first step. I'll I'll leave it at that. Yeah. 
It's something. Yeah, I, I have a slide that I show quite often in presentations that, that kind of sums up compliance really well. There's a guy on a motorcycle. He's wearing a helmet, but he's completely naked outside yeah. of that. And it says, this guy is compliant. <laughs> and uh, I, I, We can show imagery so, with the podcast, nation, Rachel, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, have to, you have to put that, build that picture in your head. I mean, you can't see too yeah. much. It's, it's, it, 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 but the point is, is that, I mean, there's two fundamental flaws with compliance. Quite often, it's written in response to a problem. So you, we don't have a problem with people riding around on motorcycles naked. So we right. didn't pass a law to say you have to have clothes on on a motorcycle, but we did pass a law. We did have a problem. Well, in Florida, people don't have to wear helmets anyway, but in some states we passed a law saying you have to wear a helmet because they had a problem with people not wearing helmets. And a lot of compliance is driven by that. We don't have a problem with people um, maybe you know, installing an antivirus because everyone has one, but we do have a problem with whitelisting not being implemented, with um, uh, privileged access management not being implemented. So we're going to write compliance laws around that. So quite often compliance has these mm -hmm. big gaping holes in it in that it's always responsive to failure for people to do basic things before. But equally, it goes towards getting us closer. And that's, look, there is no such thing as completely secure. There is no perfect security in the world. But what we can do is be more secure than we were last week. And if everyone wakes up every Monday morning and says, what can I do to improve my security this week? If you can get up by 5%, that's 5% less than you were the week, better than you were the week before. And the harder you are to hack, the more difficult, the more likely is someone's going to give up. Okay, so let me ask you a question then. So the with, the, with the customers and prospects that you talk to in, in your travels, how many people at the state, local, you know, municipality, critical infrastructure level have security personnel, not physical, but IT security personnel that wake up every day and say, how do I make this, how do I make this enterprise I represent more secure today? Or do they not have time to do it? Less on. than 1%. Less than 1%. Less than 1% of city or government people right. I talk to uh, like in totality of, I speak to people who call us up, who say, I want to do something, they're the exception. But if I'm at a government trade show or at RSA or at Black Hat, and, and bear in mind, these are security trade shows or even an IT trade show uh, like Spiceworks, and I speak to a local county, they, they are normally IT people, not security people. And they're more interested in, the, the first thing you often hear is that's going to be too much hard work for us. Oh, I couldn't do that. That's too much hard work. And, and there is a fundamental problem. Security is an IT, is, it's IT people that have to implement security in many cases, cybersecurity. But it isn't an IT job. It's a security job. So it, it's almost it's like, you know, it, it can, uh, an insurance adjuster coming in and saying, well, I know how to quote a building, but my job is to quote it to lower the cost and not to actually build the building. Security is, is supposed to be at, at odds with the IT department. They're supposed right. to be a pain in the ass. Sorry, uh, a pain in the, uh, for the IT department. And if if it's the same function, quite often they are so conflicted with how do I make IT work smoothly versus how do I make IT secure? And in some respects, they can't always exist together. I have a lock on my front door. That stops me getting in and out of my house easily. I set my lock to auto lock because sometimes I forget to lock it. And that's a pain because I walk out to the car, I come back and it's already locked. But it's a security function. And as an IT person, if your job is to get less tickets on a help desk, less calls, security is always a problem for you. So big companies, big enterprises always completely yeah, separate agreed. those departments. So you'll have a CISO who should yeah. report directly to the board. Uh, or, and if you're a small company, a virtual CISO, and it shouldn't be the IT department that's left for, to do that. So we do see in the government, which is our area, of, my area of expertise, we do see the CISO reporting up to the CIO more often than not. But I, I have one question I want to go back to. They wake up every day, less than 1% are really focused on making security better for that organization they represent. But you're seeing them at Black Hat, DEF CON, RSA, the different shows. Why are they going? 
Okay. Well, it's okay. cool. I, I was afraid that'd be the answer. <laughs> if you go to Black Cat, it's cool. It's fun. It's fun to go to Vegas, well, right? Yeah. So, uh, RSA, well, it's great yeah, to go to San Francisco. Yeah, okay. and it's in Vegas. Look, yeah, and look, it's not to say that they're 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 not saying, saying I'd like can't. to improve my security. And the 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 the, the, the challenge that you have is that they they don't want to improve security at the risk okay. of upsetting people. And I always say, if you want friends work in the IT department. If you want, if you, if you don't work, become a security expert because security experts, security department don't have friends. They are, the, they're the compliance people. They're the, the HR people. They're, they're the people that nobody likes and you don't have friends in that department. So if you want friends, work in the IT department. If you're okay with not having friends, work in the security department because your job is not to be friendly. Your job is to walk into the CEO's office and tell him, no, you can't have domain unrestricted access to the entire business because that's too dangerous. And of course, he can always override you if he's the CEO of the company. But the point is, if you you haven't got the backbone to say no to the CEO of a company or no to uh, the, yeah. the lady at the front, get out of the job yeah. because get your job, job is to say no. Okay. So switching over to the executive order that came out May 12th, we've got the new draft uh, zero trust guidance, which is out, which people are looking at. Does that compliance component then, do some of those mandates help enable these people who can't get it done, who, who helped, help them to say, no, we can't do that because of the executive order or because the government is forcing us to do X, Y, and Z? So, so the executive order mostly points to uh, implementing standards, obviously issuing budget and following a zero trust uh, framework. And uh, what I liked about the executive order is the first time I've ever seen zero trust com- defined in a legal stance. We see it on every billboard we go by. And I started reading it and I was reading zero trust, zero trust, zero trust. And, you know, we use zero trust in all of our marketing, but for us, you know, zero trust means least privilege. And it means don't let an application run if the user doesn't need it. Don't let an application access more than it needs to access. But for many people, it means don't trust bad stuff, which I think is odd or uh, review logs more often. Now, zero trust was very, very clearly defined in a legal stance for the first time ever I've yeah. seen it as least privilege, which means do not let, uh, only only apply access where needed. Right. To and, and they're talking identity, they're talking devices, networks, applications and data. Yeah, everything. But, but Rachel, what does Wired say as of this weekend about zero trust? You were You were talking to me about an article that came out. Yes, yes. Well, there was there was an article that, you know, basically, you know, what what does zero trust means? And it it means whatever you want it to mean. And I think that's been one of the interesting parts of zero trust. It's fairly open to interpretation. And then, you know, of course, and then how do you execute? Right. And I think that's where a lot of people have, have kind of struggled in and how do you move forward that strategy? What does it look like? Um, and and I think that was part of some of the pain points of of when this came out, right? It's, um, there's a lot of talking about the zero trust, but how do I put one step in front of the other to, to actually get there? I, I was talking to a CISO at a major airline in the US actually about zero trust and he hated the word zero trust. And I, I don't disagree with him. People are, this zero trust yeah. is somewhat of a marketing word. And because, and I say that because it's been turned into a marketing word, uh, and, Everyone wants to achieve zero trust. It is, is it as a mindset as well? It's Agreed. not a product. It's, it's not, you know, in theory, it's a mindset of operating more on a, a less privilege. And, uh, but it, but it can be twisted and manipulated mm-hmm. into anything you want it to be. But ultimately, if, if you think about security from a, a least privileged perspective, if you think about rather than trying to add so many different tools on top of it to find the bad guys, because that's what everyone's been doing for the last 10 years or 20 years. They've had antivirus and next-gen antivirus and AI antivirus and threat hunting and EDR and XDR. And it's like, we're going to find all these bad guys. It's much smarter to say, hey, look, we can't find all the bad guys. It's fine to look for them. I have a house alarm in my house. And what we've ended up with is companies with three three house alarms with motion sensors and contact sensors and glass breaking sensors. They have a dog that makes a lot of noise. They have some cameras that have lasers shooting out of them. But guess what? They haven't taken the principal approach of I'm going to lock my front door. And someone can still walk in the house and take the TV off the wall. So if you think about security from a control point of view, if and this is what a lot of government legislation talks about. It's, it's not about 
get a better antivirus or have a, a, a more expensive antivirus or have a better EDR. It's, it's very much about, do you have a firewall in place that operates a default deny policy and you only allow rules that are needed to access your network? Do you have application whitelisting in place to only allow explicitly authorized software to execute? Um, do you have a backup system in place that takes offsite backup? If, if you have dual factor, these are what I like to call absolutes. I mean, if, if you if you think about a piece of malware, think about a piece of ransomware, if a user opens it or not, you have no control over it. You should train your users, but you have no control over that. If your antivirus detects it or doesn't detect it, you have no control. But when you start thinking about controls, they are absolutes. Is it on the whitelist or isn't it on the whitelist? These are much more certainties. And a lot of compliance and um focuses towards putting those controls in place. And yes, they do tell you to put an antivirus in place and they do tell you to have some level of detection, but they're not saying get a better detection system. They're saying implement more controls, implement least privilege. And if if you forget the word zero trust and you and you think, I just want less in my network, I want more restrictions, more controls to only allow what is needed in my network, on my endpoints, on my permissions, then security gets a lot better. And, and if if Com- if companies would focus less on the words like zero trust and and what these mean, then we'd probably be in a lot better space. Yeah, state no, I, too. I, I feel it's replacing artificial intelligence and machine learning. Right, there were there were a couple years there where everything had to have AI and ML in it, and now it's everything has to be zero trust from a marketing perspective. Right. Customers are asking for it. Mm-hmm. All companies are throwing zero trust in there. I had I had somebody we're close to Rachel recommend changing our name to zero trust, <laughs> and and they were joking. But but like think about the SEO, the search engine optimization, and what you get just being zero trust as a company. So right. I, I I agree with you, Danny. I mean, I would say least privilege. What we do is reflective of zero trust more than what a lot of things do. But equally, we didn't start off like when when we someone says to us, what does threat locker do? We don't say zero trust. We say we stop anything from running that isn't explicitly trusted. Right. <laughs> like that's that's and we've always said that before we use that word at all. So it, it, it's I think people getting down to the actual nuts and bolts of what things do, having a list of controls in place, um, it, it's a sensible way. And that's what the federal governments, the state governments need to say, look, these are the controls you need in place. Um, this, 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 uh, we need to put this in place, go and check these boxes and come back to us with the ones you can't check. And you can't check every box every week. Just do a box and move on to the next one. But this almost goes back to earlier in the conversation with the local municipalities, school districts, you name it. Do what you can, understand where you are. And, and, and th- these are concepts that they can implement internally or should and should. Well, can and should. But again, if you've got, if you don't have the, the talent inside or you've got a conflicted department because the department wants to make IT run as smooth as possible, and now now you did something that requires people to get approval for new Chrome extensions, that slows down IT. But it also helps potentially protect yeah. the business so from are, massive cyber Are there any things breach. missing that the administration should add to the draft from your perspective? Like an area of focus maybe or... <laughs> there are there are there's a lot of words in that draft <laughs> so uh um uh, the, the, you know uh, i i kind of feel like the the executive order is a political response to a complete failure of infrastructure security and it it, it provisions money which is probably the most any politician can do because right. let's face it, are we really asking Joe Biden to write a security uh, principle? I, I think from a political point of view, we should be, rather than trying to get deep into the detail, but we should be saying we have to follow these standards, pick some standards, whether it's CIS, whether it's NIST, someone has to go out and they have to implement these standards and we're going to put money aside to help do that. Um, there's, there's some of that in the, in the executive order. Um, like I said, there's, it's a, a political response to a to a right. to a breach, to a one specific right. breach. I mean, there is breaches every day of the right. week, but that one just rattled the White House because it's yeah. oil, and no one messes with oil. Well, and I feel water. If I mean, look at like Flint, Michigan, right? Long term water, nothing to do with cybersecurity, but 
But that hit the press too, and that was very significant. So I think water, oil, I mean, the critical infrastructure, infrastructure sectors are, are, are important and do become right. political when a problem rises to a certain level. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. I, well, water correct. always hits the press, well, but fair. it didn't affect the White House. <laughs> I mean, it, but we didn't, so but the problem was, the problem <laughs> so, uh, was averted. I think that's uh, the difference. It, but yeah. Like when the problem is averted, in, right. if, if, if Orlando didn't have water, well, yeah, well, yes. water, right. I think we'd have seen a very different level of focus yeah. in that city because we become very reactive as a society. Yeah. Right. Well, I, and we always, and that's, that's human nature to react to this happened to me. Uh, so I'm going to respond to this incident above all other incidents because I, I know what it, I, you know, someone broke into my house. So I know what it feels like someone to break into my house. So I want to, deal with that so okay well right. if you do anything about your car well no because nobody right. spoke into my car um so that's human nature but I, I do think if you know to put out the zero trust guidelines the the executive order that was out um the new one that's likely coming around these guidelines that's important right. but funding has to co- flow with it because these local organizations you, you can tell them what to do but without the funding they don't even have the ability to understand the NIST guidelines around the risk management framework, 800-53 or 171 or any of these. What's zero trust? Like 207, I think, 800-207. They don't even have anybody to read them in many cases, let alone understand them, let alone deploy capabilities or take protective actions in accordance with them. Well, I think having task force that are trained on this Agreed. as well, because finding someone to hire is very difficult because you can, how does someone who doesn't understand security interview no, for someone who's a security question. expert? And, and where do you, right. where do you find people? I mean, it's, right? so, I mean, I think funding, I mean, it's a problem every business has. Right. I mean, I, uh, it's yeah, only where a piece. People? Right. Your know, funding helps, but it doesn't tell you if that person's good, good at the job. So having task forces set up, helping people hire people, or uh, con- find consultants, um, having th- those are all things that can help small businesses because as a small business, I mean, we, we, we face this challenge in every single department. I want to hire a sales leader, but I don't know that much about sales. Right. I want to hire a marketing leader or whatever, but how much do I know about marketing? What questions should I be asking? So what you do is you go off and you, you look on resumes of previous people, but in security, that's a little bit more challenging because it, it's there's not the, the industry's growing so fast the number of people are growing so fast there is no magic qualification so now you're saying well this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about so let me go and hire him so having tangible help saying okay we're going to give you money and we're going to help you interview we're going to help you find we're going to recommend accredited consultants or uh, something on along those lines to get these um, local governments these smaller governments uh, smaller water supply, smaller critical infrastructure, aware of what they're actually bringing in. Otherwise, they're just doing what. Right. Well, they're just doing what the rest of us do, which is you know guess half right. the time when we're we're hiring staff in our department. We can't guess with security. We can't take a roll of dice and say maybe I get a good guy, maybe I don't. Yeah, it, it almost makes me think like a uh, a volunteer program, right? You, you're in Orlando. We had the water potential water problem in Orlando. There are a lot of smart cybersecurity and IT personnel in the Orlando area. Well, it's it, if almost they had the ability to bring volunteers on board in some capacity to help local municipalities and state and local governments who do have that expertise, who can make their mark on their local communities whether it's hiring or best practices or just understanding, hey, what is the risk management framework? How do I implement that? How do I understand that? What is zero trust? How do we look at that? Bringing community level experts in, because in a lot of communities, I think we do have experts. They're just doing different jobs. uh, I mean, uh, you have to to be careful about the type of people that tend to volunteer. Have you ever been to your (laughs) HOA meeting? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh yeah you, you, you gotta be careful about that too i mean it, it's a nice idea but. yeah that's it's it's a good point <laughs> I, I certainly am not pretending to have the answer yeah. i think rachel's probably more likely to have the answer on this one i i don't know yeah. but we do I, I hear what you're saying we need expertise in order to hire and leverage expertise and make things happen. And train. Like how does a local school board, how does a local school board make a determination on 
what they should hire for, who they should hire, how much they should spend, how do they believe that? I mean, yeah. I don't know it's, your thoughts, Rachel, here. I, I don't it's have the answers. I, I will say that. But um, can I can I totally pivot, though? Because I really want to talk about ransomware while we have Danny. <laughs> so Danny. Sure. I mean, ish, ish, okay, but I really would love to dig in a little bit more. So, you know, one of the things we I'm kind of consistently been, fascinated by with ransomware, and I think you mentioned this earlier in the, in the podcast, it is big business. People getting paid, you know, then you have like subcontractors of ransomware ga- gangs getting paid and, and throwing up a kickback. And, and you know, so a lot of people talk about the financial incentive, like how do you how do you shut that that down? And and if we were to regulate cryptocurrency, for example, I mean, is is that the right lens to look at this? I know you guys are dealing with this day in and day out at ThreatLocker, so I, I would love your perspective as someone who's kind of on the front lines here. Well, look, and, and here's the problem. So the, the the there are really two types of ransomware. The ones that scare me are not the dark sides and uh, the big organizations. Uh, and the reason they right. don't scare me as much is because quite often that's easier to trace and detect. Uh, it's it's clearly not easy enough because we'll still see massive companies shut down. But there there is intelligence communities, there's um, antivirus communities, there's EDR communities that are tracking these software, tracking those publications, looking for those known code. What scares me is the niche ones that you you see. This, the guy who sat in his basement and, and and I demonstrated how easy this was. Who just wrote a custom piece of code to encrypt your files because he happens to be a programmer and that's not going to be detected by anyone. And it's very, very hard to shut down. Uh, The problem is the cryptocurrency is, is definitely been a a way of transitioning that money. Um, I I don't, I mean, I'm not a big fan of cryptocurrency anyway. I don't see the value in it. I, I, uh, although for 10 years I've been saying this this is going to hit the ground, this <laughs> cryptocurrency, don't keep buying it and I keep being wrong. So, uh, uh, but I think, you know, I'm not sure you could shut it down at this point in time, but possibly shutting it down is going to help restrict the payments, but then right. they'll find another way of getting the money. I mean, criminals have always been, whatever we do, they're going to find some way of getting around that in terms of politically, how do I get the money? Yeah. Do they have to do a wire? I'll just go to a country that doesn't extradite me. Uh, there'll, there'll be so many things they can do. Of course, there can be more legislation. There can be more cooperation between Russia and the US and the places where they're harboring these criminals. Right. Uh, but it's not going to go away from that because there's just too much of it. I mean, how can the FBI launch an investigation yeah. when there's thousands of cases every that single is, week I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, in one I, state? I guess that's... I mean, that's the other question too. I mean, what what can you do to start, you know, for kind of those smaller companies out there that aren't realizing that maybe they are targets because, you know, their their supplier, you know, network or, you know, vendors that they work with. I mean, it, it's kind of a, a gateway drug, right? To to get the bigger fish. Uh, you know, how how should companies be thinking about how to protect themselves? I mean, aside from make sure you back up your stuff, make sure you're doing basic cyber hygiene, you know, running the updates. I mean, but what else should these companies be thinking about? Um, so, uh, and qu- quite often that's one big misconception. People say, well, I'm, I'm not a gateway into a big fish. You don't have to be a gateway into a big fish and, and, and don't answer this online. But if you think about it as yourself, if someone encrypted all of your recordings and all of your data, how much money would you pay to get that data back? And it's probably not a good answer to <laughs> thing to answer. But if you think about that as, as a small organization with not necessarily thousands of endpoints, how much money would you pay to get that back? And that's what people miss, miss all the time because the news is printing. CNN's putting out there and Fox News is putting out there when someone gets hit with big ransomware payments and big companies like Garmin and, and like um, Colonial and like JBS Foods for every one of those, there is a thousand small companies, a thousand local dental offices that just paid $20,000, $40,000, $100,000 to get their data back. And guess what? Those small businesses will go out of business too. So it's not always about getting into the big company. These guys realize they can go right. after the small companies and they can do it with half the effort and they can get, I mean, what, 10 hours work, 20 hours work and you get 20 grand, right. 50 grand, 100 grand. That's Literally, not a bad yeah. return. Um, what you and can no do- risk. Literally no risk. Yeah, because the, the police won't even right. take your call. Like if you try and report that to a well, federal the police, agency, they won't. And they don't even know what to do if they did, right? Yeah. The, the, they'll take they'll a just police say, report. Oh, I'll, I'll give you a police report with a num- number on it. That's the b- best you can get. What you can do is, look, as a small business without internal security, you have to rely on external. So find yourself a good managed security service provider or an MSP 
and make sure that they are looking after things for you. And look, if you're right. paying them hardly anything, they're probably not doing a good job. That doesn't mean if you're paying them a lot, they're doing a good job, but make sure they're credible. Make sure that they can talk about their own security practices. Ask them what tools they're putting in. Ask them, are they implementing a zero trust framework? Ask them, are they implementing um, an antivirus? Do they have whitelisting? Do they have uh, privilege access management? What are you doing about local administrators accounts? Find out if they're people pleasers. Um, you know, there's lots right. of resources out there, but find a company that can look after this for you because you cannot do this alone. You can't have the friend of your right. or your grandson looking after your IT. That's just not going to cut it. doesn't matter how much you like the guy and how much you tr trust them. If you are a small business, you can be crippled. And just right. think about this. If you lost all of your data tomorrow, how much would you pay to get your business up and running? Yes. And that these guys know exactly what you will pay. They have a, ma a, a matrix of, hey, you're a dental office, you have this many employees, you probably got this much money in your bank account, this is your liability, this is your HIPAA fines, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. come up with a ransom based on all those metrics. And guess what? They also look at your bank balance. Just before they demand the ransom, ransom they yeah. already know your bank balance. Yikes. They've got it straight from QuickBooks. <laughs> Rachel, I'm it's speechless. Really you got I mean, to carry that. I mean, cry, it's, it's a bad <laughs> so situation. I, I, I laugh a lot because it's, I mean, it is. It's just one of those kind of, uh, yeah. you know, like Sisyphus. You're trying to push that rock up the hill, but the rock just never seems to get to the top. And there's, there's no magic bullet or silver bullet, as we like to say, in security yeah. and uh, this one in particular just runs right. rampant and they get more and more creative, which is kind of fascinating to watch. We were talking about that Meteor Express. It wasn't ransomware, but that Meteor Express uh, attack on the Iranian uh, railway system. And, and you know, they were trolling, right, the Iranian government, basically, and, and asking them to call what was it, the Supreme Leader's phone number to complain or, or something like that. And, you know, delays, you know, delays courtesy of a cyber attack. Uh, you know, so there's right. some folks having yeah. fun. And I think to Danny's point earlier, you know, some guy in his basement, you know, wherever that might be, just like, hey, this is kind of cool. I, I I can do this. And there's zero accountability. You're not going to be prosecuted, um, you know, or extradited, you know, depending on what country you're in. And and um, it's 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 a hard problem. It's 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 a fascinating one, too. But as a small business, percent. state, local, municipality, whatever it may be, you've got to think about it. You've, Danny, I love the way you you've put it. You've got to think about it. You've got to think about what the value yeah. of your data is to you, especially if it's all gone. And, and there are some things. I mean, I, I love the cloud providers in that case or the MSSPs. I mean, they provide an enhanced level of capability that a small business just – they're not hiring an IT security person. I mean, heck, even law no, firms well, not, don't have great, and they make a ton of money. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you ever try to get $50 out of a lawyer, it's, it's hard. So, uh, I'm not going there, yeah. but um, I, I know what you mean, though. But I mean, they, they just, you know, it's a it's a relatively advanced hire once your business, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what the data shows, but I would imagine a small business would have to be beyond 50, well, I, I, I wouldn't even expect to see an IT security person. I mean, normally you see a 100 years of business with one IT person. And that's, that's probably the average of what we see. Now, if you get into certain industries, finance, banking, healthcare, you might see a little bit more concentration there, but typically one IT person to 70 to hundred people. And okay. then maybe, um, yeah. Yeah, like I wouldn't typically see a, sec a dedicated security person until they're up at four or 500 people. Um, but it's, you know, use an MSSP, use an MSP. And, uh, but make sure you're asking them the questions, make sure, do you have whitelisting? Right. I mean, go down the, the, the CIS list and say, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing this? And um, ask them, what are they doing to stop these threats? Because if they can't answer them, and, and we have, a, we have a, a less hackable white paper, which we give the small business owners that gives like 20 things yeah. that just ask your IT guy, what is he doing? And realistically, right. every one of these, these are the most basic controls. If they're not on his list, then you've got the wrong guy. So give guy. us an example. It's like got the patching one of the 20? Yeah, so patching, patch management system and uh, with tracking of patching. Okay. Uh, dual factor um, authentication uh, is a huge one. Um, application whitelisting is a huge one. Ring fencing, I mean, the, the, I mean, every time you run a game on your computer, it can eat all of your files. Right. Every application you run has access to all of your data, even if you're not an administrator. So making sure you ring fence your applications is another one that you should be asking. You know, uh, uh, do my applications have untethered access to everything? Um uh, yes, they do. Backups. Um, backups? Yeah, we don't need backups. Yeah, well, yeah. 
<laughs> uh, on on off site backups. But look, if you're restoring for your backup, right. you've already gone. It's, that that's 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 kind of like okay, I failed, but how much can I recover? As opposed <laughs> right. to my security is good. I mean, backup is not a security. Backup is the oh. I failed. What can I do now? My security failed. What can I do? Right. But, but think about it. How many small businesses do run and test their backups and have offsite backups, have a plan even? I mean, that's an IT function more than a security function. But right. many that I've talked to, friends who own businesses, they don't even think about it. I mean, I, I certainly don't have an ex- no. ex- exhaustive list of, of right. you know, or, or looked at any surveys lately, but they don't even think about They don't even know to think about it. So- you know what I would do if I was a small business owner Outsource it. and I didn't, I want to tra- test my IT guy. I'd unplug my server, <laughs> walk out, take it home and call the IT guy and say my sto- server was stolen. I need you to restore it. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good test. Happened. Probably not a good test. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Rachel, we've covered, we've covered water, yes. municipalities. All my favorite we've covered topics. zero All trust. All my favorite topics. Well, Thank you, Danny. This has been such a great conversation. We greatly appreciate you, uh, particularly dialing him all the way from Ireland for today's conversation. This was, this was awesome. Thank you for the invite guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Ransomware, the problem that continues to be a problem. It's a gift that keeps on giving. I know. I, 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 I will say one thing. Ransomware is the end game for any cyber breach. I mean, ultimately it's one of the many end games, but it's, it's, People often think it's it's the source. How do I stop ransomware? But it's how do I stop someone getting into my network? How do I stop software running? Uh, ultimately, all of these different ways, whether it's SolarWinds Orion or Kaseya or somebody clicking on an email link that downloaded some malware or the latest Microsoft vulnerability, right. uh, all of these are ultimately ways to get to the end game for the right. end game for the cyber criminal, which is how do I make yeah. money from you? And ransomware is Try one of the true. ways you can make right. money if you're a cyber exactly. criminal. Very lucrative, proven, low risk. Yeah. Yeah. What a great gig. That's why we see so much of it. Yeah. On that note, uh, yeah. Yeah. thank you everyone Tough for world. joining us okay. for this week's podcast. And, you know, if you haven't yet, please smash the subscribe button. You get a fresh episode every Tuesday right in your inbox. Uh, until next time, next week, stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 